I'm Carrie Benedett, and this is my podcast, Thriving Matters, where you will find tools to revitalise you and your relationships, whether at work or in your personal life. Well, a little bit about me. I'm an education consultant specialising in emotional intelligence, and I use creative approaches that empower people with proven processes. I'm known for my high energy, passion and compassion for those in need of help. And I like to shine a spotlight on what we can do. I'm here to bring positivity, confidence and strength every day, everywhere. My mantra in life has been, let's give it a red hot shot. Well, listeners, this week, my special guest for the Thriving Matters podcast is Zach Mercurio. Now, Zach is extremely well known internationally, and it is a privilege to have him on our podcast this morning. So I'm saying good morning, but I'm saying good afternoon to Zach in Colorado. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing as well as I think we all can be right now. I think everybody has a different set of challenges that this current crisis is bringing out. So doing the best that we can. Well, I think that's all we can expect of ourselves. And I've been a big one lately on saying it's not self-indulgent to have some self-compassion. And I think that's exactly where we all are. But in saying Mm. that, the reason I have Zach today is that he's one of those ordinary guys, I believe, doing some extraordinary things. And that's what our podcast is all about. So let's have a listen to Zach. I know that he is a family man. He's also a professional. So, Zach, how about a little bit of a potted history just about who you are and what you've been up to? Yeah, well, I am. I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old right now. So (laughs) I love my work. I love parenting. Doing them simultaneously, that's the puzzle I'm figuring out right in this moment. You are not alone. (laughs) Yes. And really, I mean, what I've seen my work doing over the past many years is really helping people to realize their own significance. And I do that in my personal life, but it manifests professionally with my research on meaning, meaningfulness, and purpose. I teach in the Department of Psychology and a Center for Meaning and Purpose at Colorado State University. And then I also do a lot of work with people and organizations on how to develop a purposeful mindset. So how do Mm. you come to approach your life and your work as contribution-centered and not necessarily result-centered, which we know when we see our lives and our work as having a purpose, we realize our significance. As you and your podcast say, we tend to thrive and flourish as human beings. And so I wasn't always interested in that. In fact, I was somebody who was yearning for significance and trying to find it in things and acquiring and achieving things, and that did not work. You know, I was in a job that everybody on the outside thought I was successful. It paid me a lot of money, but I was miserable. And it was a few conversations with some ordinary people that were joyful, that were thriving, that really changed my perspective and led me on this path to figure out how do we develop that perspective. And that's the rub, isn't it? What looks glamorous, successful, doesn't necessarily resonate internally with people. So when we really get to the heart stuff, what's the core about what we do? So one of the notions about thriving is that it can look like it's always hilarious, fun, it's party time all the time. But, you know, the word thrive for me is so much richer. It's depth in character, it's depth in adversity, it's depth in vulnerability and how we make sense of 
what it is that we're doing. And, you know, for you to, mm. uh, to be working in purpose and at this particular time, I would think your phone must be ringing off the hook because we are all struggling wherever we are, even in our families, even juggling that, you know, this morning I said to you before we started the podcast that I could smell breakfast being cooked by my uh, 30-year-old and his partner here. And I'm going, oh, I wouldn't mind a little bit of those, some of those mushrooms. But you know, how do, And I had to go out and say to them, listen, guys, you've just got to keep the noise down just a touch. So how do we juggle that this morning? So if you hear a few noises. That's <laughs> okay. Me, it's okay. <laughs> that is okay. Thriving is a developmental trajectory. We don't wake up and thrive, right? I mean, it's developmental and it's just like resilience, right? And I often say people are calling me right now, what do I do to get through this? And what I see is when there's trouble, people look for like some magic thing they can do to just erase the pain. But the problem is we know in the research that resilience, for example, and thriving, we don't thrive despite our challenges. We thrive precisely because of them. Yes. Because yes. of being able to learn from those challenges, to be able to move forward, to experience really the three components of thriving and flourishing, which we know are positive emotions, positive meaning, that I and what I do matter, I'm significant, and positive relationships, that I'm in regenerative, not extracting relationships, and I'm regenerative to other people. Mm. Those things are actually accessible in many different circumstances and are almost independent of circumstance. And being regenerative, it's going to evolve, keep growing and manifesting itself. And we need to have the really good ingredients. It's like that best cake that mum makes. We've got to have the right ingredients in there. And sometimes those ingredients are a little bit skewed, but that's okay because they can then Mm. write themselves, you know, a little bit more baking powder or, you know, raising agent to help things rise up and become who they should be. I always ask my guests what it is that they do as a starter for their day or something that's part of their thriving routine that is something that they don't give up, that they may have to manipulate or move her around, but they never give this up. So do you have something that you can share with us? Yeah, well, right now, because I have a five and a two-year-old, I get up and I play with my kids. And it is a great way to get into flow. Just this morning, I finished the whole two pages of a coloring book, you know, and that's all I was doing, but that's very powerful. I don't get my phone. I keep my phone in my office and I keep it away from me and I don't get it until I'm ready to look at it. You know, I don't look at something that needs my response until I'm ready to respond. That's often we get into a cycle of stress where we look at our email, but we don't have time to respond to it. So if we don't have the ability to tackle a problem, it's just going to eat away at us. Um, So that's something that's really important to me is just to to play with my kids. The second thing I do is I do do some reading in the morning and I tend to just write. I mean, so whether you're religious, not religious, spiritual, not spiritual, I write a a little bit of just a prayer, an intention, a hope for the day. So what do I hope for the day? And usually it starts out with some gratitude that I have of one thing I want to work on, you know, that developmental trajectory that day. And then just a vision at the end of the day, if I look back on my day, what would I say? And it just helps to get me in the frame of mind. I don't have much time to do it, so it's like a five-minute thing, but I just set that up. Well, that's like bookending your day and looking back Mm. to say, you know, 
have I had any glint of purpose today, which fits Mm. very nicely into your book. Now, one of the reasons that I've really become quite curious about you and what you do is I stumbled across your amazing book, The Invisible Leader. I love that. And I went, what's this, The Invisible Leader? So, (laughs) And then, of course, when you start being curious, you find out a little bit more, a little bit more, and you watch, you engage with conversations. So I have found Your Invisible Leader is a great conversation starter with the people that I coach with mm. uh, those that I work with, you have these conversations, you yeah, and you just you just do more of the listening, which is a big thing for me because I'm a female and love to talk. But the other part of your invisible leader is that you talk about the invisible leader as purpose, but then you also very strong on saying, how have you changed the world today? And I love that sort of juxtaposition of a purpose and how have you changed your world today. So tell me a little bit about why you called the book that in the first place. I imagine it's because of your research, but I'll let you tell the story because you're going to tell it better than me. Yeah. So actually it starts in 1928. There was a management scholar named Mary Parker Follett. She was also a social activist. And she said this really profound statement. She said, leaders and followers are both following the invisible leader, the common purpose. And so when we look at the research of people who are resilient, of people who experience meaningfulness and high degrees of meaning in their life, there's one thing that they have in common, and they seem to have a focus on the contribution they want to make. They have an idea of how they contribute in every moment. Mm -hmm. And so that contribution is the ultimate leader the contribution we want to make. I call it sometimes our legacy intention. You know, there's a columnist, David Brooks, who talks about two types of virtues, resume virtues, the things that you acquire and achieve to make yourself look good in advance, and eulogy virtues, the things you want said about you at your funeral. Yeah. Usually the eulogy virtues are the contribution-centered goals, purpose-oriented things about yourself, And what the invisible leader is, is that leads your life, not the resume virtues. So the invisible leader is, I often ask people, what's leading your life? What's really leading your organization? And what we find is that when that bigger contribution that we want to make is leading the way is incredibly powerful. Mm, It is. I do like that notion of the two resumes. I think that's fantastic, actually. Yeah, resume virtues and eulogy virtues. It's one of my favorite ways to think about this. Yeah. And we talked about like how we can get into this idea of I need to get something to be something. Yes. Right? So, you know, I have to get this particular result to be something. And the problem with being motivated by results is that you can achieve them. And then what? And this is why people who generally thrive, they have positive meaning, they experience positive emotions, they experience positive relationships, and as a result, they have achievement. But pursuing the achievement before those things is always a recipe for burnout and frustration and cynicism and disappointment. Mm, And at the moment, we've also got grief. Grief is massive at the moment, yeah. I usually say to everybody, you know, tell me, have you got a favorite quote or saying or a significant person that's made such an impact in your life that it affects how you show up each day and how deliberate you are about showing up? I have to say it goes back to Viktor Frankl. 
in the book Man's Search for Meaning. And Viktor Frankl was a concentration camp prisoner, for those of you who don't know, who was also a psychiatrist by trade. And what he did was he thought about how he observed prisoners in the most horrific of all human conditions, discovering a meaning beyond themselves. And him discovering that meaning, that contribution, that purpose for himself and how that helped compel him and other people to survive. The reason why that's so powerful is I get people who come to me and say, oh, the market's bad. You know, my bank account isn't where it should be. And I always go back to his quote where he said, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space lies our growth and our freedom. And we can choose our response to any given set of circumstances. You know, I've been saying that joy, for example, people talk about the pursuit of happiness, especially in America, the pursuit of happiness. I actually think that that it's a short-term thing to think like that because happiness is a state that comes and goes, as your listeners probably know. But joy comes from positive meaning and joy is a kind of happiness that's liberated from circumstances. And so- That's why I really resonate with Viktor Frankl's work. Mm, mm. A hugely powerful story. And the capacity of of what he was able to do is really phenomenal, really, when you think about it. And then I see it all the time. So a lot of my research is with frontline workers. So janitors, Uh mechanics, bus drivers, people who are on the front line of our society who do really meaningful work. And what we find is that they have a mindset where they think about that bigger purpose and their meaning regularly, and that pulls them through. Yeah. It's like there's always little stories that go around. I know you have one about a cab driver that I was going to ask you. In your book, you talk about the cab driver who really made an impact on you one day when you were en route. And so I thought I'd ask you today about the cab driver, because I think it's a similar story. It is. Yeah. I mean, for me, when I was in that job where I was making a lot of money, I had all of the things externally that were success for me. When I was there, I had gotten a, taken a lunch break and I met this cab driver and I expected this cab driver to not like his job because it was an ordinary job. I thought he was just doing it to get by. Right. And he asked me how it was going and I mumbled, is it the weekend yet? And it was literally Tuesday at the time. I mean, how embarrassing is that? But that's how people talk. You know, if I can just get through to the weekend, then I'll be happy. We kind of live in this if-then argument. If I get through this, then I'll be happy. And the problem is, is that when we get to the weekend, then what? Because there's always going to be another weekend. It's astounding how many people live for two-sevenths of their lives, the days that begin with the letter S, right? And so this guy, I asked him how he was doing, and he lit up. He was incredibly joyful. And he started talking about all the people he connected with that day as a cab driver. He said he was people's parents they didn't have, their friends they didn't talk to. And he was just beaming. And it struck me that he didn't talk about what he did. He didn't talk about that he was a cab driver. He talked about his contribution. And he talked about seeing his contribution in action. And that was the moment really that led me to research and figure out how do we learn that perspective and teach that perspective. Mm. And one of the answers that I've been finding is in developing a clear sense of purpose of what your contribution is on an everyday basis. So what you've just done for me is I've sat here and I've listened to that again. And I thought I've 
often think that we teach the wrong things to our young children from when we start, mm. when they're babies. So here in Australia, they will go into a primary school, so they're ages, you know, five upwards, and they get all this information about gold, about different explorers, all that sort of stuff. I keep going back, I think there's a whole lot of stuff here that perhaps they don't need to know now because what they're actually doing is they're having to learn how to sit next to somebody at a table, how to actually do something together with other kids in the class who they've never met before mm -hmm. or, they, or they're not familiar with, how to actually find someone for company when they go for morning tea and lunchtime or in the playground, how to know when not to push somebody away, so to understand their emotions. I have been at this for a long time and I got an opportunity many years ago to be on New South Wales Board of Studies who looked at the curriculum and assessment for, for students in schools. There is a parent representative, so it was a high level parent mm. representative job and we met with the Minister of Education and all that sort of stuff. But everyone around the table was passionate that we were actually teaching perhaps the wrong things at the wrong time. And that's where I think our sense of purpose, so, you know, you look at some families of siblings and you go, wow, they're all really concerned about others, concerned about the welfare of the world, of what we're going to leave behind. So I often thought that we should actually tip up side down what we're teaching our young kids. And then teach ourselves those things as adults, wow. right? So I think, yeah, I mean, Think about what we teach people. We teach people how to do things and how to get things. So the problem with like asking the question, and I teach at a university and I hear students all the time saying, what are you going to do with your life? And there's a big problem with that question because right when you say, what am I going to do? You start narrowing your attention on a fixed path and it's yeah. linear. And the problem is once one of those little blocks, stepping stones falls away, you're floundered and you have to re-scramble. Well, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And we narrow our attention. Yeah. I think we should ask instead, like, what am I going to do with my life? Instead of that question, we should be asking, what is my life going to do for others? When we ask about how we should contribute to other people, instead of what we should do, we actually open up more possibilities that aren't tied to one specific job, one specific career. They're not tied to one specific track. You can contribute in multiple ways. For example, I really want to help people realize their significance. I can do that in innumerable ways. I could do any job and deliver that contribution. And it helps us to think more creatively. Like instead of asking, what job do you want? Ask people, what problems do you want to solve? What bothers you? That is what I think we do need to start educating people on. In addition to expanding attention, yes. looking beyond themselves, creating regenerative relationships, being able to work in groups, yeah. but being able to solve problems. And learning to read and write at the same time is very important. I'm not discounting that, but I, yeah. think, I think we could tip it so that those social and emotional skills that are so important really help us build the best relationships we can. We haven't quite eradicated ourselves. We are actually looking at ways of improving our life, of looking at diseases and all that sort of thing, but people are still here. They're the common denominator. Yeah, we become obsessed with training people for skills to get them jobs, right? But the yep. problem is, is that a skill without the energy to use it is useless. So if you're not cultivating the energy 
to use the internal positive emotional psychological resources to use a skill, it's useless. I see so many in organizations that I work with, I see an epidemic of spiritless specialists. So you yes. have people that were educated with the finest technical skills, but they're turning over and switching mm -hmm. jobs yeah. at remarkable rates because they haven't cultivated the internal energy to do it. You can do a skill, and if you don't know why the skill matters, you don't believe in why it matters, then nothing matters. I really think that as we're cultivating specialized skills, we need to be cultivating the internal motivation to use those skills. And that comes from knowing our significance, how we want to use that skill to solve problems, and making sure that it matters to us. Yeah. It matters internally to us. And that is different for each person, and you can't standardize that. You can't. You can't. I think you've just given us a call to action. So Yeah, I mean, it's myself. That's my whole movement, you know, in companies too. I, when I'm working with companies or organizations or leaders, I try to go back and it's almost like a re-education that you are not what you achieve and what you acquire. You mm. are how you contribute. Yeah. And yeah. what you achieve and what you acquire will be proportional to your investment in your contribution. Like you can't achieve an effect by pursuing an effect, you have to pursue the cause, the contribution. That's what I'm after. Oh, so listeners, as you know, we always have a call to action from our podcast. And I think Zach has just given it to us. <laughs> Absolutely beautiful. So what is the call to action that you're going to be doing in the next few weeks? Really thinking about your contribution. This time is not an easy time. So perhaps the way you can contribute doesn't have to be massive. It can be something that's small mm. or perhaps a little bit out of your comfort zone that you believe would make a difference for somebody else. I think we need to use those butterfly wings, a ripple here and it goes around the world. So I think that's what we do. That's where we're going this week, folks. Zach and I think for listeners, you know, every one of you has a set of strengths that's unique and that's needed by somebody else. So I say, like, take the next conversation captive. How can you use your strengths with the next person you talk to to improve that next moment? Wow. You know, my grandfather, he's 96. He wrote a card to me last year, and in it, he wrote, Zach, how do you improve the moment? That's a recipe for thriving, right there in one line. Do you improve the moment? And because it's so deep, we need the resources to improve the moment, but we also need to realize that Whatever future we want is just composed of moments. I've just pinched and, that. <laughs> yeah. And so that's my call to action is to take the next moment captive. Take it captive. I love it. So thank you so much for that. Listeners, it's been an absolute pleasure to interview Zach. I've only met Zach online and uh, he was gracious enough to say, yes, I'll have a chat with you, Carrie. So I really appreciate that. So Zach, if anyone would like to contact you, what are your best? Oh, send me an email at ZachRecurio.com directly. I'll respond. I respond to everything on LinkedIn. So if you want to comment, message me, I'll connect with you there. I do a semi-monthly newsletter called The Spark. You can sign up at ZachMercurio.com. And that's just really fun for me. It's one of the my favorite things I do every month. And it's so. fabulous. It's fabulous. Oh, thanks. This is, I guarantee you that one. I need to also say, if you'd like to know more about what I do as a leadership coach, carriebenedette.com is where you'll find me and you'll also find me on most of the socials. As always, 
please go gently in this time of great upheaval and uncertainty. You are precious. Your thriving matters. So till next time I speak and take good care of yourself and your family, Zach. Thank you so much again. It's bye for now. See you later. Bye, everyone. Bye.